0: Welcome to the Informed Simplicity Podcast. I'm Dr. Jordan Hears, here with Dr. Julia Conroy. This is our Polyvagal Series. In this series, taking a shared journey to learn more about how stress impacts our bodies from a polyvagal perspective. If you're a therapist or counselor, you can earn CEs by listening. Check the description to learn how you can listen and earn At the beginning of each episode, we like to review the basics of polyvagal theory. Polyvagal theory tells us that our bodies have three ways of responding, all depending on how safe or threatened we feel. First, when we we feel safe or only a little challenged, our bodies are designed to seek connection. This is when our bodies are primed for growth and physical healing but sometimes we face outright challenges. When this happens, our heart rate and breathing speed up and we go into our second response, fight or flight. This is when our bodies are primed for movement. This is also when we are prone to irritation and anxiety. And if we're facing what feels like a life-threatening situation, our heart rate and breathing slow way down and we use our third response, freezing. There are different types of freezing. Some of the types of freezing are things like going numb, fainting, feeling depressed, or having chronic fatigue and lethargy. However, our bodies respond to challenges and threats. The important thing to remember is all of these systems are working together to maximize protection for our most vulnerable systems. In short, Our bodies are designed to keep us safe. To understand the relationship between these three responses and our physical and mental health, we're looking at the extensive research on how stress impacts our bodies. Our main text for this is Robert Sapolsky's book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And today, we're looking at the reproductive system. So, Julia, with that mouthful, how are you doing today?
1: (laughs) Good. Honestly, I haven't talked about the reproductive system since, like, ninth grade biology. (laughs) Um, This is a lot more helpful than that was. I think maybe it's just because I'm not, you know, 15 anymore. anymore. (laughs) I'm just, like, giggling my way through it because I I should call, you know, Mrs. Young, my biology teacher, and apologize. Um, But I'm really excited about this. I think... um, the reproductive system is one that is so tied to such intimate parts of our lives that it can be really distressing to people when there's some sort of maladaptive functioning going on. And I think it's really valuable um, just to sit with, so what impact does stress have on this? Um, And just really valuable to learn a bit more about that. So I'm excited to jump in today. What, What about you?
0: yeah I think that you're right you know I think this is a topic that is so tied into people's sense of identity
2: and so mm. it can be very
0: um sensitive yeah right I mean the chapter sort of divided into male anatomy and then female anatomy mm. and she spends a lot of time talking about g- g- genitals and, and how they function and mm. um yeah I mean those are problems that I think really is touch home for people.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm
0: excited to get into this. I'm um, also like you. I mean, I remember asking some really weird questions <laughs> in Dr. Lambert's, <laughs> in Coach Lambert's biology class when I was a freshman in, in high school, right? And not understanding. Oh, good. And not, I I like, understand. the coach on, like, <laughs> Coach, you take this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, reading through this as an adult, a little bit more mature, But also, I think having also read the rest of the book makes the rest of this chapter makes sense for me,
1: right? Mm -hmm. Like
2: our
0: bodies are often, our bodies are responding to what's going on around us. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's not doing something weird. It's not doing something strange. It might be not what you want, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, But once you understand, okay, this is what is happening.
3: Mm. And this is what
0: my body is responding to. It Mm -hmm. makes your body's response make sense. And Mm -hmm. so I really appreciated that part of this. Um, And then, you know, Sapolsky is just hilarious. And so (laughs) (laughs) he's got a section on hyenas in this that I don't think we'll get to but I'll put it into the show notes.
1: We'll recommend yeah. it's worth a read. <laughs> and we'll recommend you never watch The Lion King
0: the same. <laughs> You'll never watch The Lion King the same at all. Um yeah, but even in that, right, like it makes The Lion King make more sense. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> in, that's fair. In,
0: in some ways. So yeah, i put I put I have a video of him talking about his hyena section. Um we'll put it into the the show notes and people can enjoy that. So yeah, let's sort of dive in here um so he starts off talking about male anatomy and basically what he says is your brain that the way that the male reproductive system works right is pretty it's pretty simple right he almost
3: comparatively com-
0: yeah. <laughs> com- comparatively and, and he's almost like uh ah, it's boring like, like it's just this is this is what happens and so he says basically you know the brain re- releases lhrh which is a hormone that in a roundabout way um, starts the process that ends with the creation of sperm and the creation and the testes releasing testosterone. Mm -hmm. And when stressed, the system shuts down,
2: Um, which
0: makes sense, right? I mean, mean, this whole whole book has been about how when we're stressed, the long-term sort of bodily functions sort of shut off. And the things we need for the immediate present
3: mm-hmm.
0: sort of jack up, right? They they, they increase. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has this, this quote, right? And I think it's really, I love this quote, because one of the things that I didn't get about polyvagal theory is how your body doesn't really differentiate from stressors.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So he says, if a male goes through surgery within seconds of the first slice of a scalpel through his skin. reproductive system begins to shut down Mm -hmm. and as a therapist who has learned a lot about trauma how Mm -hmm. trauma impacts the body it's a good reminder to remember that surgery even though Mm -hmm. it's a thing that's for a good end Mm -hmm. is in some ways traumatic for the body like your body's going to turn on a high level stress response
1: Mm And what a good thing that is, right? That being cut open, our body has a response to that. That's like, wait, no, this is not what's supposed to happen, right? Again, it's like, no, I know that this surgery is okay. I know it's for a good reason. Like I'm, I'm choosing to have this. This could potentially even be life saving, right? This could improve my quality of life. This is a good thing that cognitive awareness doesn't get passed down to these just years upon years upon years of our bodies being ingrained with the message. If you are cut open, that is a bad thing. (laughs) I am stressed. We need to like conserve blood. Don't send it to that area. Prioritize sealing that up, do what we need to. It is, it's a trauma, Right. And it's actually a very good thing that our body responds to it that way. Yeah. And because if we're cut open under other circumstances, we need our bodies to kick in with that response.
0: And I think even like so there's definitely the socialization part and then also the. um, I think the biology, right, I think Mm -hmm. it's wired into you that if something is cutting into your flesh, you know, whether it's a lion, whether it's a <laughs> hyena on the savannah or if it's a doctor yeah like this is a problem yeah. um so i thought that that was for me a good reminder
3: mm-hmm.
0: um the other thing that he says is um stress also makes it hard to get or keep mm-hmm. an erection mm-hmm. um and he goes into how this happens, right? Basically, the parasympathetic nervous system is what controls an erection. In order to mm-hmm. get an erection, you have to be sort of relaxed and feel safe. Um, and he even uses the word vegetative, right? Which is sort mm-hmm. of um, a a a really interesting word, given that typically in polyvagal areas we think of uh, vegetative as being sort of like a freeze sort of response. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, okay, like because the parasympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic branch is the one that sort of controls the um, erection. That sounds really confusing to people initially. Mm-hmm. Because when you're having sex, your heart rate goes up, your breathing goes up. Like it doesn't seem like a very vegetative, sort of relaxed thing. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is because the sympathetic nervous system, the sympathetic branch, is what controls ejaculation.
2: Mm-hmm. And so what
0: you're seeing is these two systems really coordinating mm-hmm. really well, right? Where the parasympathetic starts off sort of um, taking charge and leading the way, right? Mm-hmm. And then as arousal increases, you the the sympathetic comes in line. And, and there's mm-hmm. this sort of... Um, handing off of the baton,
3: mm-hmm.
0: which sort of, at least for men um, is, what ejac- is what then leads to ejaculation.
1: Right, which is very um, polyvagal, right? That these, both the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system are working in conjunction based on circumstance, right? And based on the level of stimulation that's present, right? Which is what the polyvagal theory says as we're relaxed as we're calm it's not this system fighting against each other but it is it's this passing off of a baton as our body seeks to respond the best that it can um to the level of stimulation that's present um, which is a good thing right and and very against this idea that we've talked about literature like pitted against sympathetic and parasympathetic for so long I think that this is one of the best examples that shows that they're very much working in conjunction with one another um, to, according to the level of stimulation present, uh, to give the body what it needs. And that's a really, really good thing.
0: Yeah. I think for me, something we haven't talked about before mm-hmm. that is, I've not heard this stated super directly, but I've listened to so much of, you know, Porges talk about this, is that um, our nervous system can also blend different states,
2: right? Mm-hmm. And so Porges, in some
0: of his stuff, I think he's got a paper on love. Um, anyway, basically what he says is, we Not not only is there a hierarchy of responding, right, where you have a social engagement response, and you have a fight or flight response, and you have a freeze response, depending on the level of the stressor, right, the intensity of the stressor, but also, if you're able to keep the social engagement system open and functioning, Mm -hmm. it allows for you to use that social engagement system in novel ways, right, and so. Mm talks about play he says play is so important for kids because that's when they're blending the social engagement system with the fight-or-flight system
3: mm-hmm.
0: and actually the way that they learn to use that fight-or-flight system in a way that's really sort of healthy is by being able mm-hmm. to also use the social engagement system
3: mm-hmm. so simultaneously, simultaneously
0: yeah. right mm-hmm. so he and that's why he says things like face-to-face play and reciprocal play are so important. He has this Mm -hmm. great clip of two basketball players who are like best friends, and one of them knocks the other one down and keeps on playing, and then a fight breaks out. And basically what he says is, if you look at what happened, the guy who gets knocked down then looks to his friend. He's trying to make that face-to-face contact. but his friend isn't looking his friend mm-hmm. is off doing something else so the guy's knocked down makes this bid for for connection
2: mm-hmm.
0: because it's not reciprocated that starts the fight Exactly. And so he's trying to keep that social engagement channel open mm-hmm. um, yeah
1: we'd like to it sounds good it's what we're we're bent toward but when we get a clear message that that's not available it's not a conscious choice right, right? It, it that happens within milliseconds that so that fight flight response is activated and, and i'm really glad that you gave that example too because obviously there's like physical activity being done right but there's also a level of psychological stress
0: yeah. in that moment
1: too and i think nobody would argue you know i'm not really in the mood after i've run a marathon pretty tired like sex driving super high in those moments like my body's pretty depleted um, but the same is true that we found um, there are several studies that have been done on psychological st- stress, even doing things like a stressful learning task have been shown to reduce levels of testosterone. And so I want to make that really clear. And we've been, you know, keeping that another theme as we've gone through these episodes, but I think especially when it comes to sex and sexual drive um, and the reproductive system, I think there's even more of a leaning right, to make that about the physical nature, this is surgery, this is physical exhaustion, but this also extends to this psychological stress too, right, that even that has been shown to significantly impair testosterone levels. Again, that causes this same shutting down um, of the system, like you said, when we're not able to activate that social engagement system, when that bid for connection is not met.
0: Yeah, and he talks about that, right? He talks about mm-hmm. how part of the problem um, with stress and erections is that when you're stressed, it's harder to get an erection and then not having an erection, not being able to get or keep an erection is also stressful.
3: Right. And so
0: that's the, that's, the, that's the psychological part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Where the psychology of it then also feeds back onto itself and makes it harder Um, unless you can have that safe and social sort of social engagement Mm. system sort of kick online.
1: Yeah, it's a vicious cycle, right? Because when I'm uh, like, as a man, if I'm unable to get stimulated, I start to think about myself, what's wrong with me? What's going on here? I kind of turn inwardly. That's not exactly when I'd be most prone to reach out for comfort in that moment right? And that's definitely not what culture teaches us to do in that moment. Yeah. Um, but what polyvagal theory would suggest is reaching out for that sense of comfort, right, actually diminishes that stress, um, so that those systems can come online.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, which I think is really important, because he, you know, he even says that 50% of the time, when men go in to see their doctor Mm -hmm. for an issue like struggling to get an erection, Mm -hmm. there is a psychological component, right? It's Mm stress-induced, which I I think is
2: um, really normalizing, right? Mm
0: -hmm. If half of the time people go in to the doctor because they can't get or keep an erection, that's a lot of people. Yeah. I remember going through my own sex training, um, in my master's
2: program, and these
0: are at least for, well, there's different parts of this, but for, for, for men, these issues are so common, but we don't talk about them. And so, so many people are walking around feeling like, oh, wait, like I have this big problem. You know, and it's like, no, this is actually your body responding to normal, everyday, stressing environments. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody goes through this at some point in their lives. And if we can just talk about it, then you can know that you're not weird or strange and your body's mm-hmm. not doing anything abnormal.
3: Yeah.
0: And actually, kind of like we're saying with the polyvagal perspective,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: the more
0: you're able to sort of talk about that and be open about Mm -hmm. that and almost be comfortable with the fact that this is how my body responds that's what's going to be the biggest thing that's going to help you
3: Mm -hmm.
0: to actually relax Mm -hmm. so then you can get an erection and enjoy your sexual experience
1: which is so (laughs) countercultural, right and so I think there just is so much potential for shame and embarrassment to come in. That's not exactly a reflex. Um, it makes me think of a couple I was working with yesterday, and they were celebrating an anniversary, and they had made plans like, "We're having sex tonight. We're going to do this," um, and you know, build up, you know, for weeks. They've got this plan. This is going to be great. This is we're going to get a hotel, and this that we're so excited about all these things. And they're sharing about this experience and um, as they're getting back to the hotel room and things are starting up, um, he's not able um, to have an erection, right? And he's just so disappointed. He's so frustrated in those moments. But he said, you know, I made the decision. It would be okay if we could just be close, right? We don't have kids bursting in the room. Um, So if we can just be close, that's okay. Right. And they started cuddling and they started, you know, just kissing and, and enjoying one another. And after about 15 minutes, he was able to get an erection. Right. And he's like, I don't know. It just happened. And it's like, OK, no, what we do now. Right? There's so much pressure. There's so <laughs> well, much stress know. around. It It's <laughs> it kind of stressful getting to the hotel. Right. All of those um, things. Our systems are kind of still shut down. Um, and, and the reason why. Right, I'm then able um, to be stimulated in the ways that I want to be, right? Is because my body actually relaxed, is <laughs> because I felt safe, is because I felt calm, uh, especially in the arms of my partner. And then my body is able to function in a way that it needs to. Yeah.
0: I also love that you said um, the 15 minute thing. Something I think people really need to learn or here is that it takes time,
3: mm-hmm.
0: right? I mean, Gaiman talks about this, the people who do the uh, HRV stuff talk about this. In order for your body to, to, really, to really sort of shift down,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it takes time.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I think sometimes people, when things happen instantly, but that's just not how life is,
3: mm-hmm. so.
0: um. The other thing he talks about then is like okay, so if half of the time people come in to see a doctor and there's a stress and the the lack of erection is stress induced, how do you know which is which? Mm-hmm. And he actually has um, a really sort of fun way to talk about this. Right? He says, you know, you can go to a sex therapist or some sort of physician, they'll give you a a penile cuff. But also he's like, what the sex therapists do is they they tell the men to put a ring of stamps around their penis. Because um, if you do this before bed, men get erections when they go into REM sleep, when they go into REM sleep. And so if you check it in the morning and the ring of stamps has been broken, you know that when you were asleep, You had an erection i thought that's pretty ingenious like that's kind of a clever way to handle this um and so yeah you can get a ring of stamps if you want or you know you can go get a penile cuff and and sort of check that that way Mm -hmm. um there's i wanted to return back to this idea though of of Mm blends of blended states right so we say that play is a blended state so you can use social engagement and also fight or flight at the same time. Um, And Porter talks about how sex is sort of a blended state as well, right? Mm -hmm. Usually you're asking one partner to be immobile, which is sort of that freeze sort of level, but then also, um, you know, you need to be safe,
3: Mm -hmm. right? And he
0: also talks about, and so you're seeing like that sort of uh, social engagement plus the sort of freeze state but he also talks about nursing, mm-hmm. right? As a blended state. And that's why he says that moms and babies sort of gaze into each other's eyes when the mm-hmm. baby is nursing. Mm-hmm. Because they're communicating to each other. It's safe to be still. Mm-hmm. It's safe to be still. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, that really opened up sort of the... the the theory a lot more right Mm -hmm. to say okay it's not always just about being happy and safe Mm -hmm. but it's also about how do you pull in these relationships to make the other parts of your experience safe Mm -hmm. so that you can then be really still and feel safe so that you can then be mobilized and feel safe right it's not just about um, staying in that sort of medium area where you're Mm -hmm just doing the safe and social stuff so I thought Mm. that was really important
1: Mm. oh absolutely
0: um what about you Julia did you have anything else in this section on male anatomy that you wanted to touch on
1: yeah I think just um I think you did a great job of kind of leading that summary there but I just think of um just the amount of and we touched on this briefly, but just the amount of shame that I know is present with male clients that I've worked with, um, with erectile dysfunction or any sort of sexual issues, um, that it's, it's so painful that what polyvagal suggests would be the very solution, right? To those issues, right? And to those ways that it's functioning maladaptively is comfort, is safety is connection, but that makes a really conscious choice to do the very opposite thing that shame tells us to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that this is a really, really important uh, message for everyone to hear, Um, but especially as a clinician, um, kind of appreciating the fact that the very thing that's often needed in those circumstances is safety, and comfort but it's the very last resort <laughs> that our body wants to go to because shame tells us to to turn away and to be by ourselves um, and to not address it um, so figuring out how to balance right that pulling away response makes sense and yet it kind of further exacerbates that stress that's already present um, and I think just appreciating the bond that um, many male clients find themselves in
0: yeah, it is kind of a bind, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like I need connection in order to feel safe, in order to actually have sex, or at least to have an erection and then have,
2: you know, yeah. But that feels like the most dangerous thing on the planet to me
3: mm-hmm. this because of
2: the level of shame that I feel. Yeah. I think the
0: therapist move, at least my. For me, the first therapy move is having people being able to say that to their partner.
2: Mm-hmm. You know? It's huge. It's huge.
0: And I think that's what begins, at least at, you know, at the beginning, to dispel some of that
1: shame. Mm-hmm. Because what does it do? It turns on some of that social engagement system. Right burden some of that stress decreases that limbic response right so i can actually receive some comfort there yeah. um if the couple's de-escalated enough to get a good response there. <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes it's saying something yes, uh, it yeah <laughs> but i think you're totally right that's that's the number one thing to activate that social engagement system to kind of dial down that stress response yeah. Um, and to get the closeness that, that we all need there. Yeah.
0: OK. So female anatomy, um, in some ways, I was surprised at how similar parts of this are, right? So he starts mm-hmm. off saying um, uh, the brain for females secretes LHRH, and that stimulates estrogen production and stimulates the ovaries to release eggs. Um, and I was like, oh, that sounds kind of like, you know, the testosterone and the sperm for like men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they go into how there are other hormones that impact women, right? And so he talks about um, how the ovaries produce estrogen. And also uh, women have androgen, which is produced by the adrenal glands. And then the body takes androgen and actually converts it to estrogen. But in order to do this, it needs fat, which is, as soon as he said this, I thought, oh my God, I know where he's going with this, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, like, you know, this is why oftentimes women who've been through some sort of famine or um, like their bodies really struggle to um, get pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. Because androgen actually inhibits pregnancy, mm-hmm. right? Um, And then he takes it one step further and he says, this is also why women who um, struggle with anorexia nervosa often have reproductive issues Mm
2: -hmm.
3: because
0: they don't have enough fat Mm
2: -hmm.
3: in
0: order for their body to convert the androgen into estrogen
3: Mm -hmm.
0: because androgen stops the reproductive process. And I thought, Mm -hmm. yep, I've seen that, like that makes that make sense.
1: Right. And, and so that androgen is the same one that's found in, uh, like a male's hormonal system, right. And so it suppresses, uh, females biological fertility. Uh, and so when it is more dominant in the bloodstream, because it can't be converted to estrogen, um, there is a decrease, um, in that potential to, to get pregnant, but also just kind of, Uh, impacts just a regular menstrual cycle as well, because again, the body's like, all right, we're shutting this down. There's more androgen in the system um, that's not being converted. And so that kind of suppresses this natural cycle that that takes place.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And then he also goes into talking about how you see the same sort of thing with like competitive runners and like high-level mm-hmm. athletes, yeah. And I was like, holy smokes! He talks. He says, up to half of competitive runners have menstrual irregularities, and highly athletic girls which puberty later than usual. Right. That's because when they're that fit, when they're th- and their bodies are stressed, they don't have as much fat. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. For example, he says in one study. 14 year olds 95 percent of control subjects 95 percent of just you know random everyday 14 year old females um, had started menstruating whereas only 20 percent of gymnasts and 40 percent of runners had so you can really see like the difference
3: mm-hmm.
0: that levels of fat make for the female body and estrogen mm-hmm. and i was like that's wild it also, made, it also made sense to me. I don't know if you've experienced this with your clients or, um, you know, even with friends or whatnot, because I've heard women talk about having irregular menstrual cycles. Mm-hmm. And to me that, you know, not being someone who'd read this, read this stuff at, at the time, I was like, that just sounds like weird to me. Like, why would your cycle be irregular? Mm-hmm. But it's like, actually, it's pretty normal.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: if you don't have a lot of estrogen or Mm -hmm. if you um, are like really low weight or for whatever reason, like don't have a lot of fat stores, Mm -hmm. like that's just what your body does. So for me, that was also sort of like an aha moment of Mm -hmm. making sense of the things I've heard in the past from other women.
1: Yes, absolutely. Kind of this bifold effect of the things that deplete women's estrogen levels, Um, that high amounts of stress, right? just the same hormones that kind of start that cascading effect are not secreted, right? So there's not as much estrogen released, but also if the body, um, isn't able to have enough fat to convert, right. That androgen into estrogen, this androgen actually is very intentionally trying to suppress the body's, the female body's capacity to get pregnant. And I think Polsky does a great job of explaining why this is, because again, nothing's malfunctioning in this, but what the body is picking up on is if we don't have enough fat to convert this androgen to estrogen, we probably don't have enough fat to support another human life. <laughs> so <laughs> let's pump the brakes on this, right? Let's make sure that there's more androgen in the system because this this is not gonna end well in, in a healthy pregnancy. So let's slow this menstrual cycle down. It is incredibly adaptive that the body has that kind of foresight to say, hey, we need to slow down this reproductive cycle that could end in a female supporting another human life because we don't have the resources to do that right? Whether that be due to famine, whether that's due to restricted eating um, that is chosen um, or not. Uh, And and so it's incredibly adaptive of the body to register that and then protect the body from a very expensive (laughs) process um, because pregnancy tends to be a pretty uh, metabolically uh, expensive process for the body.
0: Oh my gosh. When he says that you know, a pregnancy, a typical pregnancy is 50,000 calories. I was like, holy <laughs> smokes, like, <laughs> like that's a lot, right? It is metabolically metabolically intensive. Mm-hmm. even says that nursing on average is about uh, 1,000 calories a day. Like, it takes 1,000 calories a day from the female. And I was like, that's a lot. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So, yes, how wise is everybody to say, wait, we don't have the resources right now. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to slow things down until you have what you need in order to do this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Insane. Mm.
2: Insane.
0: Um, so anything else on this section, Julia? I, I, I'm really interested in the next section, but I wanted to sort of see if there's anything else about yeah, this. Yeah,
1: uh, this is, again, um, I think just from a clinical perspective, something that I hear a lot, because we, we talked a lot about, um, you know, the way that, there's just such good uh, intention behind our bodies of how they kind of regulate these hormones of how fat stores are used and, and so essential. Um, but I also did just wanna touch on because um, Zapolsky does this really well as well of women's libido or their sex drive. And I do, I think there's like a really common um, cultural perception that women just don't want sex as much. They don't need sex as much. Um, and so I've I've seen clients that's like, I want sex, is something wrong with me? <laughs> um, but also women that are like, I just don't want it at all. Like the thought just like is repulsive to me. Right. And I think it's just really important to to touch on both ends of those spectrums and every place in between, and especially pulling in this polyvagal lens, um, that there's nothing wrong. Um, with the sex drive, regardless of where it falls on that spectrum. But what is important is to acknowledge the link that our sex drive has with the perception of safety that's present. Um, And as a woman, um, I've certainly understood this and seen this in my clients as well, that um, there is a greater likelihood of sex having been an unsafe experience. And there's absolutely men that have experienced that as well. Um, but it it is far more likely, um, among women that I can't fully activate my social engagement system, um, while engaged in sexual activity, because this has previously been unsafe for me. Um, and so oftentimes, especially when females come in with lower sex drives, a lot of our work will be kind of processing how we can make sex a safer experience. I have so much expectation, I have so much psychological pressure, right? That's even if safe is, uh, sex is a safe experience with my partner and I want to, I still have kind of this psychological stress weighing in of what expectations are present. How often is this needing to happen? Like kind of the, and just like the the stress that can be stored in our bodies um, from prior sexual trauma. Um, that we may have had that we're aware of um, or maybe less aware of just from vicariously hearing about things or watching things play out in media. And so a lot of my work with them is how can we make sex a safe experience? What if we just engage in some sexual touching but not experience sex in itself? Um, And so I just, it felt really important to include that here too. Um, linking these ideas of safety and sex because they are so, so interconnected.
0: Yeah, I think you're hitting on like one of the biggest unsung things, right? Um, you know, the ACE study, right, said that like, 27% of, you know, middle class white women have been sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's a lot it's a lot of people and so for mm-hmm. a lot of women sex has not been a safe situation mm-hmm. and I think that we really need to be aware of that and I think I think things have sh- shifted but for a long time for a lot of people um, that was sort of just swept under the rug mm-hmm. you know
2: um, Absolutely.
0: which is which means that a lot of people went through a lot, a lot of women went through a lot of pain Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and were told that they were crazy and told that it Mm -hmm. was just them for way too long, way, Mm -hmm. way, way too long. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And and sorry, I want to acknowledge too that um, maybe someone when listening are like, well, that hasn't been my experience, right? But even acknowledging the weight that of the psychological stress that hearing about another woman's sexual trauma, the way that that carries is saying, oh, that could be me. Even the ways that we see that play out in media and our culture is saturated with here's what's expected sexually, and this is what an exciting, fun sexual relationship looks like. All of that, Impressive. right? And even though I haven't had my own explicit, direct sexual trauma, right? If that's you, but I still have this low sex drive you've still, right, felt the weight of the sexual pressure and stress um, and expectation up there that carries a weight of its own.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a, I'm just, I'm, I'm quoting way too many books, but there's a wonderful book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. I don't know if we talked about it before, um, but it is a book written for women and half of the book, a third of the book, Is her just dispelling all the myths that we have. Mm -hmm. And she really does a great job of dispelling the myths. And I think this goes back to what you're saying, right? Is there's so many myths about sex and sexuality in our culture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, that can impact women Mm
3: -hmm.
0: on that psychological side of stress. And then you layer in the fact that, you know, at least a quarter of... uh, middle-class women
2: have been assaulted Mm -hmm. before the age of 18.
0: Like, so then you also have like the trauma layer, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. no wonder for lots of women, not all women, but Mm -hmm. lots of women, there's a lot of um, stress and shame Mm -hmm. attached to
2: this. Mm -hmm.
0: And if we want people to have full Full sexual experiences, but also full full choice, right? For them to be able mm-hmm. to choose to have this sexual experience or not, um, we have to sort of begin to educate people and also create more safety for people to ha- mm-hmm. to 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 have their experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: beautifully said, Jordan. Yeah. Um, wow. Anything mm-hmm. else, Julia?
1: That's, that's really what I wanted to cover there. I know you're excited about the next part.
0: I am, too. <laughs> I am excited about the next part. Well, you know, some of the stuff I just find so fascinating. I feel like that comes out a lot because I I never took a physiology class, like you, right? And so <laughs> I'm, the, learning about how our bodies work to me is just interesting.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so this next section is, he talks about, okay, so people often have infertility issues. So, one of the ways that they try to work with that is through in vitro fertilization. And he actually kind of starts off with, like, a downer, right? He basically says, like, uh, IVF is actually not that effective. (laughs) It's like, it's kind of depressing, right? Um, He says, you know, technically, it's really hard to know how effective IVF is because Mm -hmm. these clinics are working with – the hardest cases, Mm -hmm. right? They're working with the hardest for for fertility cases. Um, And then he says, but also let's not underestimate the role of stress, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Like having fertility issues can be hard and stressful on a relationship. Then if you choose to go get treatment for that, that's not usually covered by insurance, even today, right? So you gotta pay 20 grand out of pocket. Where does that money come from?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, you know, these are usually, these, these ISPF clinics are usually located in um, major cities. And so if you don't live in Dallas or wherever, New York, or, you know, some San Francisco or wherever the clinics are, you gotta drive there or fly there. Mm-hmm stay in a motel for weeks on end, not be around your family and friends, you know, like that's all stressful. And then, you know, you have doctors poking at you, prodding you, hooking you up to machines. Um, Like the whole system is this really stressful experience. And for me, this was sort of like the biggest sort of polyvagal light bulb that sort of popped off of like, oh, man. How important it is if you're in that situation to have support, right? Mm -hmm. To Mm -hmm. feel like your partner has your back, Mm -hmm. to be able to call your parents or your friends or whoever back back home, Mm
3: -hmm. to really
0: have doctors who have a great bedside manner, Mm -hmm. you know, to to, to find whatever ways, whatever, where where whatever, where what where other, whatever mm-hmm. other ways to keep that social engagement system on mm-hmm. so that that stress response um, doesn't inhibit
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, the reproductive cycle.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do, I think, Um, I think we both probably know people that have been through this process and know how incredibly painful it can be um, and just the toll that it takes. Um, And so I think Zapolsky's perspective in this is to kind of not discourage (laughs) those that are seeking this out, but to kind of appreciate the level of stress the body is under, right? And and to recognize this is an incredibly taxing process. Of course, physically, right? With all the tests that are being done and and all these scans and all these things, right? Financially, yes, but socially and and relationally, what impact this can have. Um, And recognizing the weight of that, I think is so important Um, from a clinical perspective, from just a relational, from a human perspective, right? And then exactly like you said, how much more important is it that they have a village around them, appreciating the weight of that experience for something that is so incredibly heartbreaking. Uh, And and so just really wanting to to honor the risk (laughs) Um, That they're taking in that process because that is a lot to ask of your body, both physically and psychologically. Yeah,
0: Yeah. especially, I think, for bodies that are probably more sensitive to stress, and Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to fertility, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're going in for in vitro fertilization, your body, for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. finds fertility harder. And so maybe your body's already more sensitive than to, to to the things that can sort of throw it um, throw a wrench in the fertility cycle mm-hmm. so for people like that we really need to appreciate it mm-hmm. and be respectful of that mm-hmm. and I don't know I mean the people that I've known who've had issues like this I think they've been very lucky mm-hmm. to go to good places and have doctors who are very knowledgeable and and who will um, even just like explaining right this is what you can expect this is -hmm. what's going to happen next so that it's predictable and i hope that most clinics are like that i don't know if they are but i hope that they are because Mm -hmm. that really makes a difference to people
1: yeah yeah or maybe it's just because if they're friends with you, they've got a really good village behind them. Wow. <laughs> Is that just like a very humble flex of yours? Oh, no, that
0: was not a humble flex, Julia, <laughs> but thank you.
2: Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so,
2: yeah. um, Yeah, that was really, that was really impactful to me. Yeah. Mm. Um, what else? What else in this section?
1: I think you covered it pretty well. Um, I would really love to see some sort of like study. I As I was reading this, I was like, man, I'd love to see some sort of study, you know, comparing what impact does, like the level of social support around people. Um, have on this process and the effectiveness of it, um, I I think that would be really powerful um, to see, not because um, we want people to be without support, but maybe that could be um, granting additional funding for support groups um, or some sort of like group counseling process as they're walking through that, um, that I think that that could be really valuable for them. Um, So I'd love to see like a body of research on that kind of showing what impact does it have um, when they're able to connect, when they're able to activate those social engagement systems consistently. No, it doesn't mean it's the end to the stress, but it does allow those parts to come online that we need to and that the reproductive needs, system needs um, in order to, to result in pregnancy.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um so I think the question that he ends with at the end of this chapter, I think is like the perfect question. Cause he basically says, So how much impact does stress have on the female reproductive cycle? Mm-hmm. And he's like, with all of these things, you know, that we know about how stress impacts hormone levels mm-hmm. and how stress impacts fertility and all that other stuff, like how much impact does stress actually have? And he, he actually says, um, well, it actually has to be a lot of stress. right? Like, like it has to be a lot of stress. And he tells this story and he gives a big caveat, right? Cause he's like, a lot of this data we have comes from really horrible, horrible experiences of women in concentration camps, right? Cause the Nazis took all these sort of uh, records. So it's not a good thing that we have the information. But what we know from those studies is 54% of women in concentration camps stopped menstruating. And he said, you know, that's that's actually means that 46% of women kept menstruating. So when it comes to stress and the impact on the, the fertility, the reproductive cycle, it's gotta be a lot of stress. It's gotta be a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. And to me that sounded like, you know, <laughs> that old quote, life finds a way. You know, like like the body, the female body is very resilient. It's very resilient. So it takes a lot to 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 knock it off track. I don't mm-hmm. know. I found that very hopeful in some way.
1: That is optimistic of you. I have <laughs> <a darker thought. laughs> Um, in that, I I do think that this is abnormally high, especially considering kind of this process, you know, in reading and being familiar with, um, the dynamic of concentration camps, even when, um, people first arrived, there was kind of this selection process of you look healthy enough to do this work. Um, we will keep you. Um, and that people that were not seen in a specific condition were deemed, um, yeah, just non-essential. Um, and so I think that that was kind of on my mind as I was reading this, of this is only a very specific portion of people that were deemed worthy, um, by the people that ran these camps. Um, and so, uh, It is hopeful in the sense that it's not just this, if I've experienced terrible trauma, if I have gone through a period of restricted eating, this doesn't mean that this is like now my fate, right? But it does mean that, um, what what would those statistics have been if we actually had an accurate sample, right, of of all women, um, of different body sizes, of different um, levels of Of health or whatever was used to gauge that of different ages, um, that I think that that would give us maybe a more accurate estimate as well. Um, But it it does offer some hope there that our bodies are incredibly resilient. Um, And this is one of the most basic functions that it has. Um, It's not something I'm ever conscious of or feel like I've got much control over, right? And so it's one of the strongest Systems that operates on that subconscious level. And um, I think this is a uh, study um, and, and an inspiring story that shows that resilience.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's actually a really good point though, right? We don't wanna um, overly, overly rosify this, right? Like mm-hmm. something horrible happened and there is a selection bias that happened. And so mm-hmm. a, 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 a survivorship of the people who were initially just murdered um, weren't part of this sort of study.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so you're right, we definitely need to
2: respect that. Um,
1: I'm always willing to be your Debbie Downer to your optimist <laughs> So rarely no, happens, a, you know? It's that so rarely happens. a service I will always offer. <laughs>
0: I guess here's the, the, the next question. I think part of my optimism was also based on what he talks about with the fat stores, right? Mm-hmm. And so it sounded to me that for many people, not all the time, but for many mm-hmm. people, once you're removed from that environment, once you've um, been able to get better nutrition and better food, mm-hmm. Then the fertility process, the reproductive process comes back online.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about that as well. Cause and especially comparing it maybe to that the gymnast, like competitive running statistics that we talked about before, right? Where only 20% of them had certain menstruating um by 14. And I think you're you're spot on with that. Of we can maybe assume that prior to going to those concentration camps, too, that there was adequate levels of nutrition and activity and fat stores. And so this was a temporary uh, devastating, but temporary state that they were in and that we see, um, yeah, just the resilience of the body to, to bounce back from that temporary state um, as opposed to this is a steady state (laughs) that I'm constantly living with this low body fat. I'm constantly living with kind of this, uh, version of portion control um and this high degree of muscle um that that i think that you're spot on there
2: yeah. all right dr conroy so what's your takeaway from this from this chapter
1: man i am such a broken record but i've got something like a nuance to my broken record <laughs> if that helps because i do i feel like every every time we, we sit down to talk about this, I'm like, how incredible is the body, right? And the way it, it seeks to to protect us and to keep us safe and to optimize energy where it deems it to be most necessary. But I think the part that just made me like get a little bit more amazed by it, I think this week, is not only does it do that for the present, but it also has this anticipatory effect. And, and by that, I mean, um, specifically when we were talking about the way that the female productive system will shut down because it's like, no, we don't have enough fat to do what we need to do, right? For there to be a reproductive system that's fully functioning, you're not going to have, right, what you need based on that. That not only does it tell us what we need in the present and prioritize that, it also collects this data on our current functioning to project how equipped it's going to be in the future um, to help us be equipped for that as well I I just think that's amazing Um, and so that that extension um, to the anticipatory preparation just blew me away today
0: yeah I had a lot of it in in that perspective about our body saying okay nine months from now maybe not. So let's not do this right now. Let's, let's slow things mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. And I love how you talk about that, right? In the book, um, supposed to be sort of talks about it as shutting down, but I think you're right, right? Because it's not really a binary of on or off.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: What it's going to do is it's going to slow down the reproductive cycle. And I thought that was very insightful.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think for me, my takeaway was the same thing but in a different way, right? Of just how necessary fat is for the female body. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Whether it's nursing, right? Mm -hmm. You gotta have the extra calories in order to uh, breastfeed, right? Whether it's having, um, entering puberty, you gotta have Mm -hmm. those fat stores in order to enter puberty. Mm -hmm. Whether it's menstruation, you gotta have those fat stores or your body's gonna slow down that that cycle, right? And it's just Mm -hmm. like, wow, like, I think we so rarely hear about the positive function of fat. Like your body's mm-hmm. doing something important.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like and it needs that energy, which fat is energy for mm-hmm. a reason.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's not like if you could just get rid of all the fat, you'd be good. Like that would be a bad thing. <laughs> that would be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. You We're know functioning so, there. Yeah. Right. And so um just how important it is.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And to have to understand the positive function of fat
1: especially Mm.
0: for our females so that to me was really
1: Mm. good and what a countercultural message but what a beautiful one yeah Mm. there you go
0: all right dr conroy i'll see you next week
1: all right i'll be here thanks
0: hey before you go a few reminders since you finished this podcast you might as well earn c's for listening Check out the description to find out how you can listen and earn C's. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you learned something, please, please share this with a friend or leave us a review in iTunes. That would help us out a lot. All right. See you next week.